This is episode 56 of Outlander Cast with Mary and Blake. All the way from Providence, Rhode Island, welcome to Outlander Cast. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. And I'm your host, Mary Larson. My name's Blake. And we decided to do a bit different of an intro for this episode. Those of you who've been with us for weeks know that we usually do a, a little line, something that's spoken from the episode, and then we actually have the very festive and bright Skyboat song. But after this episode... Blake and I just felt like we couldn't come in with that joyous and large of an anthem that we needed to pay respect for so many reasons to this episode. It was so emotionally powerful. So that is the reasoning. And we wanted to set the tone uh, a little differently for our recording. It actually hit Blake and I so much that we had to delay a day in recording and our, and our babies have been sick. So just how powerful and emotionally this episode was, um, was, was really a big, big catalyst to why we have taken some time to digest it even more. And that's why we wanted to set the tone so differently. Right. Uh, this was, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I don't know how the heck I'm going to podcast about, uh, Wentworth prison or to ransom a man's soul. Because there was some heavy material there, it was it was intense, it was serious, and uh, like I said uh, in that episode, and I think I will probably say again in this particular episode, you know, we love to have fun with the uh, with, with the with the material and joke around and have a good time. Um, and I'm I'm sure we'll still have some a little bit of fun with this material, but I think this it was apropos uh, that we come in a little bit more subdued. Um, not necessarily a moment of silence because that would be kind of awkward on podcasting or radio. Uh, but yeah, it's just just a little bit of more of a reflective time. Uh, this episode in particular, I really felt like it hit me um, very hard. Yeah, you know, I was interested to see how it was going to hit you. Yeah. I, uh, as a book reader, I knew it was coming. And then actually I watched it before I saw it with Blake. And some of you joined me on Periscope afterwards and... Uh, I, I was able to chat with, with our Periscopers about it, but I wasn't able to chat with it with Blake. So I actually got to watch a lot of Blake's reactions because I, I could kind of pry my eyes away a little bit from the screen. And I didn't know how you were going to react to this episode. Uh, what, what did you think about my re- like? Because honestly, I, I don't know how I reacted. I don't know. Like, I know how I felt internally. But what did you see from me? You were quiet. Yeah, really? You were quiet and you were very still, which isn't what you usually do. Mm-hmm. And um, well, what do I usually do? <laughs> you just start talking right away. <laughs> All right, what did you think? I liked this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, um, yeah. You, you were very introspective and, and you actually turned to me and you said, I need to go upstairs. And I said, oh, you don't want to record? And you said, no, I can't record. Yeah, I can't no. record right now. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. It, it's not that I um, I didn't know what to say. Um, I mean, I kind of didn't know what to say. I kind of I kind of couldn't even wrap my head around what I just saw. Um, but I would say that it, it was just it was just so much that I needed to sit on it. I needed to lo- I needed to just just let it wash over me, sleep on it, um, 
and 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 gather my thoughts because like I remember we, we we even talked about doing an instant take like how we did for the last episode and normally I am totally up for something like that I think it's I think it's great it's another awesome way to interact with you guys the listeners like like that's I love doing that and you know that uh, but I, I just I couldn't bring myself to do it it was too much of a um it was too much of a weighty meaty episode to just dive in immediately. Yeah, you needed to digest. Yeah, I needed to digest. So we are going to digest a lot during <laughs> this, this podcast episode. This is going to be a good therapy session. It I is. Think, it I is. Yep. As I've been saying, all of these characters need some serious therapists, so we can kind of <laughs> at least go through it a little bit with them. But before we delve into this week's episode, we have a big announcement big, for you. Big, huge announcement. All right. So thanks to so many of you. <laughs> We have now been officially nominated for the podcast awards. Okay, and not only have we been nominated, but we've been nominated in two separate categories uh, for Outlander Cast. Oh yeah, I was going to say technically three categories. And Blake and I have another pod. We have a couple other podcasts. But one of the other podcasts is called Parent Cast. Very easy to remember: Outlander Cast and Parent Cast. <laughs> yes, it's about parenting. Um, and all. Both of those, so Outlander Cast has been nominated for the television and film category, but also the Big Kahuna category, which is the People's Choice Award, which is like the ultimate. Like if you were to say this was the Oscars, this would be the best picture category mm-hmm. for the Oscars. Yes, yes. So this is actually like the, the TV and film thing. It was I was really pleased. I'm so about. excited! Like so I couldn't excited. believe it. Just just to be nominated, I was so excited. But when I saw that we were nominated for the People's Choice, the the best picture of of the podcast awards. I I uh like I peed myself a little bit. It was just a it was just a tiny little <laughs> teeny bit. Um but I I was so thankful and it's all it's all due to you guys. Yes. Really. Uh you guys nominated us and then you and obviously you nominated us in droves and obviously the podcast awards have listened to our podcast and seen our website and seen the blog and everything and they recognize that I think we're doing a pretty good job and it's not just because of us. It's you guys that drive the product it's yeah. you guys that drive everything that goes on here so so the next step is actually so we're like one of what so one of six podcasts for yeah. the people's choice so there and- were about 1300 uh podcasts that registered and of about the 1300 ish whatever i think it's that number we are in the top six of all those podcasts for the people's for choice. the people's choice and then also in the tv and film category right. and also in the family period right. category <laughs> but um so the way that we go forward with this is su- starting sunday may 29th um there's actually going to be daily voting open so we right. will remind you next week on our next week's podcast and you're going to be hearing it quite frequently but it is honestly thanks to you and the big thing i was telling blake is i said you know this is insane that we made the tv and film category right because the other podcasts there um, often talk about Game of Thrones or they talk about Walking Dead or they talk about like movies, just like straight up any movie that they want to see. Yeah, and like and the- then for Outlander to be represented. And I know we're all like super hardcore Outlander fans and we're like, where the hell is the season three announcement? <laughs> you know, when we get mad almost when people don't know what we're talking about. Like I, I got really proud because I said, we are helping put Outlander on the map. Like right. someone is going to look at that list and say Outlander. And if they still haven't heard of it, it, they're going to go look it up. And even for the People's Choice Awards, right. like this needs to just, it's the Outlander fandom is 
is huge. And I'm so excited that this can help represent it and bring it to another set of eyes. So open, um, the voting will be opening Sunday, May 29th. We're going to have a lot more information for you guys up on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. and also next week's podcast. So I just wanted to let you know, but this is like incredibly, incredibly amazing. And the fact that like we were nominated along with those big like cultural zeitgeist kind of shows the game of thrones and the and in the walking dead and the movie podcasts and all those other things and it, it's not just tv and film categories but like other news and politics and and and, and entertainment and business po- podcasts and all every single f- like every uh, genre every genre of podcast we outlander cast were recognized as one of the top six and Again, it's it's because of you guys, and and the most important thing for me is getting awareness to our community that we have built, not just Mary and I, but we, you, the listeners, whether it's the blog or it's it's our podcast or or the other podcasts that are for Outlander. It's about bringing recognition to our favorite show to Diana to Ron Moore right. to Tony Graffia I mean that's it I'm thinking oh my god if anyone looks at this list who hasn't necessarily even known about Outlander like we need to shine right. a light on such an amazing show right, so- because because we always think like oh you know Outlander is a big deal everybody's watching it and 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 the reality is no not everybody is watching it and in reality it's a pretty niche show it's a, it's a show for a specific amount of people when you start comparing it to the, as I've talked about before, when you start comparing it to the viewership of like Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, who are in the tens of millions, this show is getting about a million and a half. We're going to change that. We're going to change that. Starting and, with the podcast and, and the funny thing is, is that we're the only uh, podcast of Outland that have been nominated. So we're really counting on you, the Outlander community, when we know how amazing you guys are with all of the different uh, votings and, and like all the different polls. online polls. We're, we're counting on you to try to like carry the mantle for Outlander here that re- in this little niche of podcasting, much how you like you do with the character nominations or the show nominations or Golden Globes or People's Choice. We're counting on you for the podcast section of it. And I really hope you help spread the news and I'll have the link to the podcast awards in this week's Show notes, and I'm sorry that we spent so much time yes. on this, uh, but it's actually a really big freaking deal to nerds like Mary and I. Uh, and again, it's all it's 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 all due to you guys, and it, we wouldn't be here without you. Uh, but you know what, my love, what do you say we get the show on the road? And stop boring everybody with uh, everything that is going on with the podcast awards, and get into the GBG. AKA the good, bad, great. Mm-hmm. Well, my good this week was Tony Graffia and her team for taking the time and also the kindness and um, just the patience to show and delve into the depths that they needed to. Mm-hmm. I just think that obviously this episode was a little longer than some others mm-hmm. and uh, Ron helped make that happen. And I'm just, I was, I think they did a beautiful, beautiful job at capturing the emotions they needed to right, do rightfully so by the way this mm-hmm. this episode was longer you know we, we we talk about how other episodes have been shorter yes and i'm willing i'm willing to let that slide in favor of having this episode be longer i agree you know what i mean my bad originally how you'd actually felt that my bad would be the first scene the the flash kind of forward scene mm-hmm. um but after my second viewing i take it back and now i have no bads really no bads for this episode no bad whatsoever none. wow none. absolutely none <laughs> none 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 and my great wow. was katrina Bauf's al- acting 
Oh, really? In this entire episode. I, you know, sometimes my I, I'm blown away by some of the other actors in this show. But, oh, my God. I'm, I don't think I can ever look at her the same way after mm-hmm. this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm now going to hold her on, on a totally different type of acting pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, she just reached such great depths. And to think that she, you know, isn't the most... Uh, seasoned actress mm-hmm. ever, you know, like she, I mean, she's had a couple of roles here and there and, you know, she was a model, you know, for most of her career and, and here she is doing what she's doing. I, I think that's a really big freaking deal. It's huge. Right? Huge. How about you? What was your GBG? My good. Uh, I really, really liked when Claire bowed to Magnus. Oh, God. Um, I thought that was one of the, that was a small touch, and I don't know if any of this was in the book, and frankly, I don't care <laughs> if it was in the book. Uh, it was a nice touch uh, by Tony Graffia uh, to put that in there and to allow Claire to acknowledge her staff and how well her staff treated her. Um, and not only, I think, was it for Magnus, but clearly that it was, but it not only was it for him, but it was for everybody that was there. Uh, but in, obviously, specifically, it was for him, for how he treated her, how he took her to where she needed to go, how he took care of her, uh, how he helped save her, bring her to Mother Hildegard, all that stuff. Loved it. The bad. My God. What? It was the beard. Oh, the beard has actually gotten a lot of traction on I know. social media, too. You're not the, alone. The beard was just so freaking bad. And for those of you who have uh, watched Lost, uh, it actually reminded me of Jack's beard in Lost. <laughs> and like Lost was famous for having these awful wigs and awful beard, fake beards. But yeah, it, it was it was so bad. And it reminded me of Jack from Lost. We have to go back, Kate. Um, and then the great was the star chamber i I, like there's a lot of different things that were great Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of different ways like actually i have a tie uh to be honest oh i see um and there were a whole bunch of things that could have gone in uh to the great uh but the star chamber and the design of that set uh seeing how great and how well built and designed it was with the marbled floors that were actually painted by the way they were not real marble uh, and just the overall feel of it, the lighting, the camera work that was done, uh, it, I, I owe it all to John Gary Steele, and I owe it all to Steve McNutt, the DP. And I know I've made a big deal out of those, these two, uh, excuse me, all season long, uh, and they deserve it. And the way that McNutt had lit it so that the star, so that the the uh, the light was shining down through the open stars in the ceiling. Uh, and the way he lit Claire, like they talked about how she was the white witch. Yes. And she was lit in a very specific way so that it would lend credence to this whole idea of being a white witch. Mm-hmm. I thought that was excellent. But a, a, a tie, and I, this there were, there were a lot of hard choices in this thing, in this whole great thing. And this is the first time I've ever had a tie for the great, um, was the grave scene with oh. Faith. Oh my god! Uh, the, I, I, for whatever reason, like I was emotional the whole episode, but I did for whatever reason. I could no, give you no, lots no, no, of no, reasons. But I got teary eyed when Jamie was talking to Faith and saying, mm-hmm. you know, if if, if we're going to bury you here in France, I'm going to leave a little piece of Scotland with you. And maybe because he was a dad, and maybe because he was talking to his kid, and I could relate to it, or I don't know what it was, but that got me with the spoon and, and everything and the music and 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 uh 
clear, wasn't saying anything, and it was just it it, it just took my breath away. Mm-hmm. The whole the whole thing. So um, that it, that's it. That's nice, the, that's the official tie. That's the great. My love, what do you have for your kilt rating? My kilt rating. I think it's obvious. There was nothing I think bad with this episode. <laughs> it's a five. You? Yeah, you know, I think. Um, Are we getting your first five in this season? Yeah. You're, we're getting a five. Good job. This was um, this was a very special episode. Good job. It brought it. When when I think of five, when I think of five kilts, I think it has to have everything. I'm talking cinematography, writing, acting, action, sci-fi, love, hate, uh, all of it. It has to have everything, and it has to succeed and exceed my expectations. And uh, this episode has done that. In fact, in fact, I'm going to go a step even further. You ready for this? Do tell. Favorite episode of the entire Outlander run so far. Wow. Yep. It even beats out uh, my favorite, the Garrison Commander. Uh, it had, uh, for, I just, this episode got me. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more once uh, we get into our, once we get into the episode. But favorite episode so far for the entire Outlander series my love what do we have for the listeners lisa rand on facebook said this is a five kilt plus plus episode the beginning reminded me of the promise that claire made to jamie after claire came back through the stones and was telling frank about where she had been for all those three years she was gone made you think about what the two of them have been through the two that were through to stay together and m Low Call 63 says, overall fantastic episode, but I felt Claire's aloofness when Jamie returned from prison was a bit out of character, considering the long passage of time that the beard had showed. When she found out the reason for the duel and made the decision to ask the king for his release, I felt she had forgiven him. Jamie's trepidation on his return was well played. I expected a heartfelt embrace that never came. Mm, That's a good point. Lee Cho says kilt rating was a 3.5 because of unnecessary voiceovers in the first scene. So we have some uh, mixed mixed reactions, but I think what I saw online, I would honestly say that a good 90, 95% was a five kilt rating. Right. I would agree. I mean, I, I, I put these in here because I wanted to show some varying opinions mm-hmm. on this episode. Uh, but yeah, you're right. For the most part, I think there was a wide consensus that this was the best episode, if not of season two, then at least... I'm sorry, if not the entire season, the entire series, at least season two. And then M. Lou Call 63 on Instagram, I wanted to clarify. So you had talked about how uh, you were disappointed in Claire's aloofness, especially because of Jamie's beard. So don't forget, Claire was in the hospital for weeks and weeks right. already. And she said that. So actually, a great deal of time had passed just by her being in the hospital and not knowing about Jamie's reasoning. And even though she uh, was able to forgive, she probably, you know, was having a hard time being able to forget. And she'll never forget, but it she, she still had to at least get it off her chest. You know mm-hmm. how sometimes you need to vent. So they did touch at the very end at Faith's grave. Mm -hmm. And I do know that that was a very careful decision that they made was for them not to touch because Mm -hmm. um, it had been so so rough. Well, my love, are you ready to get into the discussion? Yes. All right, let's do it. (laughs) 
tell me some fun facts about this episode. Fun facts, as we talked about earlier, uh, this was uh, written by Tony Gra- Graffia. Uh, she is of Rent and the Devil's Mark, The Watch, and La Dame Blanche fame. And she actually has one more episode left for this particular season. Uh, for those of you who do not want spoilers, and I will not give them to you, I will not tell you what she is writing, but Thanks. she has one more left and this was the last episode directed by metin hussein uh and i think this now brings him up to eight episodes of outlander so far directed he has directed the watch the search through a glass darkly useful occupations and deceptions not in scotland anymore uh and again it looks like he i think this is the uh the last one actually he did the last uh episode too um what was the last episode the one right prior to this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What Best Laid Schemes? Best Laid Schemes, yes. He did that one as well. So this is the the last one that he is directing. And uh, the DP, the director of photography, or otherwise known as the cinematographer, as we said earlier, was Steve McNutt of Battlestar Galactica fame. So say we all. <laughs> so, yes, even though this is a somber episode, we will still have some fun uh sound that we always do including our harry potter soundtrack which my uh sound which by the way my wife across from me is actually wearing a hogwarts t-shirt and a gryffindor pair of sweatpants so i just you know what just for being a total complete nerd my love this one's for you you're a wizard harry thank you you're welcome this is called my sick day outfit You know, Denise actually, Denise Stewart. Uh, I wanted to get, I wanted to bring this up um, before we get into our recap, actually, or well, not recap, but discussion. Uh, she said something on the Outlander cast clan gathering, and this is why I love the clan gathering because there's so much going on there. She said, "Here's something that bothers me, and I'll probably take a hit for it, but here it goes. I always see people complaining that they don't need a voiceover, that we are smart, we don't need everything explained to us, yet." When something happens and it doesn't have a clear explanation, people get angry and wonder why it wasn't explained to us. Well, what is it? Explain or not? The big question this week, it was the orange. Ah. I wonder about it too, but I usually don't care about the VO either. What are your thoughts? I think that this episode had a good amount of VO and it was useful VO. I needed to know pretty much everything aside aside from the vo with her and the comp being like oh no it's poison oh he knew it was poison too like you could you could really tell yeah i don't know about the orange uh, you know i the, denise actually put something up a little bit later on in the clan gathering uh and she quoted a tweet from meryl davis the executive producer of this show and the tweet said the orange didn't have another specific meaning it was more like the king gave it to her, and they, the production staff, thought it would be fun and funny if, when she walked out after what the, after what what happened with the king, that she just said, "Screw it, I'm taking the I'm taking the orange." Good for her. That That's is it. something that Claire would have done. I know. <laughs> Oranges don't come easy these days, and he has thousands of trees. I'm he gonna take that. Thousands of trees in his orangery. <laughs> if it were me, I would have taken the whole bowl. I wish I had an orangery. I know. <laughs> we, we have a strawberry plant that's currently dying. <laughs> don't blame me. I don't have a green thumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, but now let's continue. Let's get on with our discussion. What do you want to start with, my darling? Man. You just want to jump right in? You want to dive both feet in? Both feet and hands? Both feet and hands. Okay. Head first. Let's um. Let's just start with the opening opening scene. Really, I thought. Okay, all right. Let's yeah, do it. Let's do it. Because you know, I I feel like we need to get that out of the way since it doesn't fit in anywhere else. Yeah. And, and it was like the movable title card that became the scene. Mm-hmm. 
And I was confused at first about this blue heron, which we have herons here in Rhode Island. So I actually knew quite a good deal about them. Mm-hmm. They have these giant nests. <laughs> oh, no, they actually, like, I'm pretty decent, I think. They're actually, like, wicked high up, you know, on, on dead trees and stuff. Uh-huh. But you can see them frequently when you're driving in Rhode Island roads and it goes along, like, um, in kind of the the wet areas around. <laughs> who, Listen, all who over Rhode Island. thought you would have been, like, into, like, this kind of aviary dis- my, discussion? My dad worked with Save the Bay. <laughs> I know a lot about <laughs> the oh my, birds oh anyway. Um, but I do know that they said that they could, like, um, I don't know if they actually can or if it was just uh, uh, folklore or whatever that they could cry. Like oh, tears? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, well all right. Now, now that we're getting into the heron talk, did the opening work for you? Because I, I know for me, I actually really appreciate it. I, and maybe it's just because I'm not a book reader or whatever. Maybe this was added from the book or what. I, and again, frankly, I don't care. Uh, it, but it, it really worked for me because you get a chance to see Claire in the future with her daughter. And this worked on a lot of levels for me because it gave you an idea that perhaps this is the daughter that she was, maybe, maybe the you baby thought maybe would survive, it was faith, yeah. or perhaps it's not faith. Perhaps it's a different baby. And uh, that worked for me too, because it said to you that even though faith wasn't here, even though she was going to, uh, she was going to lose the baby, things were still going to be okay. And it it brought you back. It, like it had this kind of, um, uh, like this kind of poetic round roundness to it. To it, you started off with a, with a with something in the future. The middle is is the future because now this is the seventh episode. Technically, mm-hmm. this would be the, the. It's just slightly over the half point way, uh, but it's still halfway through the the, the season. It, it makes sense to me. I really liked it. Yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't know what to expect when I first saw it, and the second time I saw it, I I really liked it as well because I think it's also a very obvious this is jamie's baby right this is jamie's daughter in the future exactly the copper hair so just to know that they because he does say you know and god willing we're able to have another child so you kind of already know he is going to and i what i'm thinking is going to happen is they had of course the the future scenes as our first episode and as you just said this is literally the middle episode so now i'm wondering if we're going to get another future scene at the last episode of this season well i I have a really good outlandish theory of the week about this so i'm not going to say anything about it but i will say i also think it was partly in here because you i think as the viewer don't want to get confused about whether or not this is the king's baby as well right oh because you know he did his business with claire and i don't know if he finished or not i don't i don't know he was he was a five pump chump uh or two pump chump whatever it was i would have never thought that blake but that's another good point thank you very much See, you know i didn't go to college to get stupid i'll tell you that <laughs> um no. and i I feel like it was, they showed you, okay, this is a girl with red hair, just like how Faith would eventually be. There's good foreshadowing there. Um, I I really appreciated that. And of course, I'm, I'm from Boston. So knowing that Boston is somehow in this show, uh, it kind of makes, my, makes me feel good deep down yeah. in my tummy. It, it's like, yeah, all right. You so, know? so when it came to the heron, of course, the books are about, you know, birds in the area and... Uh, Claire sees the heron actually while she's having um, this, I don't know if we would call it an operation. It was, you know, just this big medical scene where she was giving <laughs> oh, wait, birth. Wait, what What would you call it? 
I don't know if we would call it an operation, I said. Oh, an operation. Like, okay. Sorry. You thought I had a Maryism. I thought you totally had a My finger was red hot on that I don't know what you would call. I don't know. I mean, she was giving, kind of giving birth, but not really. I don't really know what was happening. I, I, I cannot fully explain what was going on next scene, except it was excruciatingly painful for me to watch. I covered my eyes most of the time, both times that I've watched it. It was a vulnerable... Shot uh, with the blood and the, her legs wide open. Oh and God! It makes me want to like throw up just talking you know, about even, it. Even the executioner was working on her. Well, and he exactly like he would have been the one doing it because that was his day job was working on people who had serious wounds. And think about this too. Remember how he talked about to Claire about how he would reach up inside of people and grab their heart. You know, that is a little bit of foreshadowing, too, because he kind of has to reach oh inside of her. And, and and her baby is not her heart, but it, her baby never... is so clearly attached to how she feels that it's almost like when the baby oh. passes away, it's as if he is ripping her heart yes, out. Yes, a piece of a real big piece of her heart has died, you know, you with, know, with faith. Yes. Right, right. Oh, gosh. So, you know, I was I was talking about the heron. And as I said, the first time I watched it, I didn't know how I felt about all of this. Um, we've heard that there's this thing where Diana's talked about the show jumping the shark. And I thought, oh, this must be it. But I guess it's not it. Anyway, I still don't understand what she was talking about. I, I guess it's whatever it is, is going to be in this next episode. And you're you not being a book reader, you might not get it. I have no idea what it is. Anyway, I, I mean, even if she's having fun with it, even if she's like being like funny, I think that's really, like, like that's tough to say that your show is jumping the shack. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see when we watch. You no, know, I get it. I get. It. I understand. I just think that's that it's doing a little bit of disservice to your show if you're if you're if you're saying that even in jest. So back to the herring. Yes. The first time, as I said, I didn't really get it. And of course, we see these wings, and we see even the wings when Master Raymond is is healing her. Um, the second time I watched it, I thought about when I gave birth both mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And I've never felt, there's been only one other time that I thought I was dying. And I was hit by a car, and I was in the hospital. I was really, really young. Um, but while I was preparing for birth with my children, I tried to visualize, right, what am I going to do when... I get to that moment. My mom had told me, she said, while you give birth, you literally have this moment where you think you're dying and you don't know you, you're just walking this really, really fine tight, you know, tight rope. And so I thought, how am I going to manage being in that kind of a state emotionally, mentally? And I pictured um, like this glen with, with water. Remember how I was telling you about it? And it looked, <laughs> no, no, you made me print out pictures and stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I did. Which were I, totally wasted. Totally wasted because my births were crazy. But <laughs> I had that in my mind. That was, and and I think Claire was able to picture these wings and even picture the pain flying away or picturing mm-hmm. um, even life flying away mm-hmm. or maybe her heart flying away or love flying away. Mm-hmm. But I was able to picture something that gave me a bit of calm and solace when I was on that tightrope line right. where I couldn't even be in reality. Right. And I watched this the second time and I said, that's what Claire had to visualize. Yep. So even though there wasn't a heron flying around in the church, it wasn't like flying outside the window, that's where her brain went to. Right. That was her healing. That was her calm space. And how amazing when she's looking at this book with her daughter to think about that. And it makes me wonder if when she gave birth to the second daughter, Did I wonder she if she thing? ever had uh, another well, she does say, moment. She does say that, you know, the last time I saw it was a long time ago. 
and it, yeah, it, it, it makes sense yeah, yeah. in Scotland. And it was great that the daughter was asking about it. It made Claire pause for a moment and say it was a long time ago. And as you know, you as the viewer are sitting there, like you're looking back at it with a little bit of fondness. Uh, but also trepidation because for the book readers, you know what's coming. And as a show watcher, you know you're in rough waters here. Yes. And uh, and you, you can see Claire's pause when she says it. You know what I mean? So blue is a huge uh, part of this episode. Tonographia actually talked about it, how she just wanted lots of things in blue. Blue, of course, Master Raymond talks about the healing and the Virgin Mary is wearing blue. But blue pops up throughout this episode, whether yeah, it's yeah. Fergus's flowers or whatever Claire, her, her cloak as she's leaving from the carriage even during that scene where she touches Magnus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you do, you see the the Mother Mary and you can think about all the blue things that have been part of Claire. Mm -hmm. um, so just when you watch the episode again, if you hadn't yet heard that, heard to, uh, about how Tony said, you know, if you really want to pay attention to the blue, please go back and use it with those eyes because it adds such a beautiful extra layer to mm -hmm. this episode. So yeah. that's that's how I, I gotta, wanted to. I got to tell you, I, I really liked the opening scene. I liked how it was different mm -hmm. from everything else. Uh, and, it, it, and to me, it marked that this episode was going to be different than anything you have seen Yet or so far in Outlander. I mean, you're so used to going from the opening title card, you know, seeing what you're seeing a clue and then it fading to black and then you're starting the episode. This one, as you know, it started and it just continued yeah. and it lets you know we're going to do things differently here. And, and I appreciated that. I appreciated being in the future. It reminds you from the from the premiere that Claire is indeed in the future. What you are seeing potentially, you know, later on in the episode are flashbacks, essentially, mm -hmm. you know, to, to the current timeline. And I like checking in. I like checking in knowing that Claire has at least been in Boston or in New England or in America, whatever, for it. it, it that was 1954. So now we're talking at least six years. Yes. You know, she has a life. That baby that she that she talked about with Frank is now born and she's at least now six years old. Mm -hmm. Right. So. I, I really appreciated that. The other thing that, thinking about it even more now, talking about the blue and how that was important in this episode, this episode to me was one, if not the most magical that I've seen of Outlander to date. So we have that that forward shot mm -hmm. to remind you, hey, she traveled through the stones and tra traveled back. Just a reminder. Right. She we're we're dealing with sci-fi and magic here. And then, of course, we had everything go on with Master Raymond. And then we have the entire magical scene going on in the Star Chamber. Ugh. And granted, not real magic magic necessarily was going on right there. You know, I don't know what the sleight of hand or anything. It but, was at least implied magic. Yeah. And so so the reason I'm talking magical and I'm talking the mystical is um, when you think about even the chakras... I've been doing energy work recently. With, <laughs> You're such a nerd. But the third eye is like this indigo color. And so the, it is. It's the ma it's the color of like the magical mystical. Mm -hmm. So I thought that it when when Master Raymond said that to Claire, when he said, you have like this blue around you, as do I, I thought, I wonder if um, all time travelers have blue damn straight then because that, I, they are magical and mystical and like that third eye chakra you know whether but i'm not saying it is the chakra but it just made me think of something else that i know of that i thought oh you know that's another blue color here's a great crossover 
Claire meets Bran, the three-eyed raven from Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, you know, what? you know, because you're saying the third eye in, in Bran is three-eyed th- three okay, raven. Okay, sorry. see, got you. I got you. You, you Game of Thrones nerds up there, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it lends a little bit more credence to my original Outlandish Theory of the Week that Master Raymond is a time traveler himself. Uh, I really feel like that he is. He knows more. And this is the second time he says to Claire, I'll see you again. Yeah. You know, and the first time he mentions it to her, it was last episode when he says, you know, I'll see you either, you know, not soon or in the next life. Mm -hmm. And then he says to her, I'll see you again. I know I will. And he kisses her hand and he says it with such confidence. It's, It's such conviction. It's as if he knows he is going to see her regardless of what happens in France. And and you can also interpret his original comment of saying, I'll see you in this life or the next or whatever it was, meaning, yes, Claire has a life and she is living her life, but it's a completely and wholly separate life in Scotland than it would be in the future or perhaps even in the past. Because, yes, she does go to the future, as we already know, but what if she travels back to what if she in the future decides I'm going back again, you know, because we see her in 54. So she's got to be there for at least six years. I don't know how much longer she stays in Boston. What if she travels back even further and she meets what What if what? Here, here's another crazy theory. What if uh, Master Raymond is from the past? And they meet each other in the past, right? Very interesting. E- either either way, what I'm saying is you can interpret it that it, as though Claire has this life in Scotland and is it a completely separate and different, wholly opposite life of what her what her life is in the future. Thus, two separate lives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. See, see, I'm getting all nerdy about it. This is the beauty of time travel. I love time travel. I think it's great. <sighs> what I didn't love in this episode was how frequently I cried. Ooh, a lot of tissues being used uh, across the nation, I would imagine. Across the globe, we I, w- had, I would even say. We had the difficult scene, which was so jarringly shot during her miscarriage, mm-hmm. where it was blurry and then in focus and then out of focus. And then, of course, she wakes up in this bed by herself. Why the heck didn't they have someone sitting by her bed? <laughs> like, like literally this woman is going to wake up and find out she has no baby in her belly. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't someone at her at her bed? They probably were all busy. The hospital is a busy place. But nonetheless, what a scene when she goes down and touches her postpartum belly. Yeah, I li- actually, I wanted to point this out. I like the fact that they, um, that they had gave her a postpartum belly. It wasn't like some movies where it's the, she has the baby and all of a sudden it's flat stomach yeah. again. You know, and she it, had the belly for the entire episode right, still. Right, right. Up until she went to see the king, I feel like. Like, right. I, know, I know at least, I felt like she still had a little bit of a belly when she was standing by the fire and then she kicked the apostle, spool, uh, apostle spoons under. I even said, it looks like she still has a postpartum belly. And yep. I, I really like that. Yep. Um, God, it just so much of a beautiful scene with, with Mother Hildegard saying she's joined the angels. Oh, my God. And then Claire begging, bring me my baby. So so we know from the end of the episode, what happens is they do bring her faith. Oh, my God. It was. And, you know, like I know a lot of people have given a lot of commentary on fake babies and what they look like. And uh, like I know from The Devil's Mark when or was The Devil's Mark? I forget which episode it was when Claire grabs the baby, um, you know, from the fairies, you know, mm-hmm. technically 
No, it wasn't the Devil's Mark. It was it was another episode. I forget which one. So please don't kill me, guys. I I forget. But you know, she grabs the baby and it's a little bluish and it clearly looks fake. And Faith in this episode, I don't want to say clearly looks fake, but I think they did a better job. I think they did a much better job with this with this little baby. And um, what what kind of hit home for me was seeing her hair. Uh-huh. the red hair and maybe because felicity has the same kind of hair yes um and it's it's like it's uncanny well i can't say uncanny but it's it's really um it's, and it's like that little tough felicity has just that little bit of that kind of it she is more of a strawberry blonde but yeah, yeah right there yeah, felicity, our, for, for those of you who are new felicity our daughter uh who was born on the finale of season one um that that day she has the similar red hair and it's this little tuft of hair, and it's what did it, it, that hit me. What did it for me was seeing the baby's mouth, yeah, seeing the little face, face, yeah, open mouth. Um, gosh, and then Katrina singing, and I know that song. I've used that in my elementary uh, music classes. Yep. So I've sung it once again. Living in the ocean state of Rhode Island, <laughs> I've I've found different songs about the seaside. So when she started to sing it. Oh gosh, I couldn't help but like hear the melody along, but I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to sing that song again. Yeah, Donna, uh, Donna Antaramian, uh, my girl Donna from Boston, uh, she actually on the Outlander Cast Clan uh, Gathering gave us a little bit more context for this song, and it, obviously it's "I Do Like to Be Seaside, uh, Beside the Sea." Um, is a popular it's a popular British music hall song it was written in 1907 as a matter of fact by John A. Glover Kind and made famous by music hall singer Mark Sheridan who first actually recorded it in 1909 so Claire would be aware of this song obviously and uh, it speaks of the singer's love for the seaside and his wish to return there for his summer holidays each particular year um, Tony Graffia chose to do this yeah. because she was thinking about how Claire lost her mother when she was about five yeah and how possibly, most likely, Claire, if she had any memories of her mother, it might have been singing her a song. Right. And this might have been a song that her mom sang And to I'm her. glad, and, and I know I watched the, the after episode part of it too with you, obviously. And, and in that part, Tony Graffia said, I inc- was about to include a voiceover describing the fact that her mother sang her this song or a song or whatever. And I got to tell you, as much as I am okay with the voiceovers and I'm, I'm allowing them to wash over me, I'm happy that she didn't. I'm happy because it didn't matter. You could infer that is something that either Claire knew from childhood or wanted her child to know. Like for me, every single night from the day he was born until this very day, a, a, a very mere two hours ago, I sang and sing our song, Reese, Sweet Baby James, every single day before he goes to bed. And it's not because I grew up with that. I just wanted him to know it because I think it's a cute song. So you could infer that that's something that you wanted Claire, that or that Claire wanted for her daughter. And it, it just felt so desperate to me. It felt so vulnerable. It felt so... Um, Oh my God, it just felt so real. You know, that she would hold this baby for so long and sing it and just stay focused on this kid and nothing else matters. I thought about when I was pregnant with either Reese or Felicity about how you can't help sometimes but think about what you're going to do with them. 
you know, what, what songs you are going to sing with them, sure. what kind of child they're going to grow up to be like. And so when I see, when I see this up, this scene, it made me think Claire must've been thinking, I can't wait to sing to her, right. you know, like even while she was pregnant, because I know that that's things that I thought of. So yeah. yeah, it was just, it was a really, really beautifully sad, sad scene. And then having Louise come. Oh, loved it. It, you know, and this is actually going to lead into another conversation I, I want to have in a little bit, um, which is the conversation of this episode is being is very, very good. In fact, it's the best episode yet of Outlander, in my opinion. But we had to get through. We had to slog through a lot of things. In I told France. you. <laughs> I told you. No, you no, did. I know. We had to slog through a lot of stuff. So I, I want to have a conversation later on about France and its usefulness to this story. And the reason why I bring it up when you say um, Louise is because you had, you finally had something that kind of paid off from France. You saw the, in the last episode with, with Louise and she's talking with all the ladies and, and it was one of those, one of those scenes that everybody kind of wrote off. Like, I hate this scene. It didn't make sense to me. It was a waste of time. And at the time, yes, it was a waste of time, but what you didn't realize and what even I didn't recognize is that Louise, while she was with all those people, she's the one who did feel bad when Claire walked out of that room. Mm -hmm. You saw it on her face. And to know that and to then see that she goes to the hospital, it shows you that she is Claire's only actual friend, at least female friend in France. And it gives you a payoff for being in France in a little bit. Now, I don't know. Again, I don't know if this was in the book or not, but at least it wasn't. it wasn't in the book. I'm so happy that they included it because it finally gave you a reason for being there. Or at least it gave you a payoff for being there. I really, really, really like the fact that Louise was able to speak to Claire and say, can I hold the baby? And it, it's, it's time now. It's you got to you got to let go. And I loved how she called her an angel because when Claire said, you know, look, she has 10 fingers, 10 toes. And I was thinking, how do you even react? What do you even say? What do you say? And that was perfect. Right. For her just to say she's an angel. Right. And because she is an angel as a baby, but she obviously clearly, quite literally, is an angel as well, I mean, at least within at least within any faith system that would require mm -hmm. angels, uh, if you believe in that kind of thing. But it, it's good to at least acknowledge the fact that she could indeed be an angel. And what was really, really uh, touching too is, as Louise asked, you know, how long has has she been here? She's holding her own yes, belly and yes, holding yes. her pregnancy. That is a pregnancy that Claire helped her. Right, and, and how? And again, you talk about this. This poetic rhyming that we we discussed earlier, it's it's it rhymes with what's happening in Claire's life. Claire helped her, and now Louise is is helping Claire let go. You know, as Claire helped her hold on to her pregnancy mm -hmm. to see the value of what was there, she's now helping Claire let go and to see the value of letting go and moving forward, uh, and. And I, I just thought it was so touching. I, I, I and I'm so happy. I, I, it would have been nice if Mother Hildegard did it, and but she is the caregiver. It, it's, it's hard to allow the caregiver 
you know, complete reign over what happens to your child, but a friend, someone who legitimately cares about you and mm -hmm. ca and, and knows you outside of being a caregiver. Uh, that's quite special. Uh, and I was, I was so, you know, we all talked about Louise as being this, this fun, crazy, out of this world woman who was a standalone character and did what she wanted to do and got herself waxed and but to see this actual human side of her and to know that she's probably going to appreciate her baby and her family oh, yeah. a lot more now mm -hmm. uh, and to know that she is actually claire's friend mm -hmm. um and perhaps her only friend uh in paris Aside from Master Raymond. Yeah, you know, I agree with the fact that he's a friend. But what he did to the Compte with the poison, first of all, I didn't... I, that was one of the things that I didn't particularly like. What, what does the guy do? Just carry poison in his yeah. in his little coat pocket every day? Like, yes. I, Think about it. So you know how like magicians, you know like those people who are like, oh, I have cards up. No, I'm serious. How they have like cards up their sleeves, literally. I, you know. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know many magicians, but I I, I got a feeling that they don't, just don't always carry cards up their sleeves every you, day. You all don't have day. like those kids in college who like would do magic tricks randomly. No, it's because you went to a small school. Yeah, I had some like kids who would just like walk up and they'd be like, hey, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Oh, but if he, he's known for his sleight of hand. I totally believe. Yeah. You think of, and he knew where he was being brought to. He knew that A, the, the king was out for him, and he knew he probably saw the, the guards coming in, so he probably grabbed some like last minute Do you think it was for him? Items. Do you think he would want to take the yes. poison? Yeah, exactly. He, he was going <sighs> to be quartered, have his pumping heart pulled out. Yeah, he totally would have snagged it for himself. Yeah, perhaps. And and then okay, but even then, right? Even then, I still don't like the fact that he dropped it in the comp's poison or the in the the bit of cascara. I didn't like that because wh why? Okay, so, what's the point? Well, the point is he now knows. Oh, it was the comp who sent in a servant to buy poison because he didn't know. He didn't know it was the comp servant. Yeah. So now he's mad because he did try to poison Claire. So yeah. you you just tried to poison my friend. And I think a little bit I'm not total I'm not on board with it either. I don't think he should have done it. But the king wanted someone to die. He did. How unfun would it have been for the king if both of them lived? <laughs> yeah, but he got a show out of it at least. And I think a very little show. I think Claire's VO pointed that out, which which was and I appreciated this. It was her mindset. It was her it was her whole uh, plan that you could have gotten, but I'm glad that they included it, which was the king wanted a show. Yeah. He wanted to be entertained. And if the king got the show of both of them getting sick and falling apart, I think he would have been okay with that. I I don't. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I, I get it. I, I mean, there's an argument to be made either way, I think. But I still feel like, I mean... He he agreed with Claire that if they both survived or one survived, they would be free. They would be free. He said he would decide what their fate would be. Mm, yeah, that's true. So I think that Master Raymond knew Louis wants a show yeah. he, and he wants to make an example, he said. I want to make an example. Right. So I really think that Master Raymond thought if we don't do this, all three of them could be killed. 
Because then Lou would be like, well, let's just double check and have all of you touch the snake. Yeah, if, you, if you're going to go there, I, I'm willing to get on that train. Will there's a snake in the room? You might as well just give Louie a show and be done with it. <laughs> that snake was scary. That snake was scary. Um, it had like an underbite and I was like, I'm ready to bite someone. But I will tell you that I, you know, as much as the comp was, I would say, a mediocre to poor antagonist uh, for the story overall, I really like Stanley Weber. Yes, he was amazing. And I really like how I liked his power. I liked how we commanded the screen. I liked, um, he, he, you just tell that he was a visceral guy and you didn't mess with the Compt. And even though his, his, uh, rash, his rationale for Claire hating Claire was, was, was thin, was paper thin at best. Uh, and his motivations were paper thin at best. The way that he port Stanley Weber portrayed the Compt and what he did in that final scene, Ugh. The acceptance. Uh, I I liked when that, that final moment right before he takes the sip of the poison, knowing that mm-hmm. it's poison, knowing that he's going to croak, seeing Claire's stone turn black, like oh instantly black. He just had this like this chuckle. Yeah, it was like a smile as he shook his head. Like, I can't. Oh, man, whatever. You know, like, the, fine. F it, we're going to do it. It's better to do that than be quartered and have a heart ripped out of you. Right, and you could see it in his eyes that he was upset. Uh, the, and the way that he just, like, he was, like, letting it loose. He didn't give a shit what anybody said, how they felt. Once he realized that he was going to get poisoned, he let everybody know how he felt. The only thing I didn't like is Claire's necklace is really big. <laughs> so I'm like, did none of those guys with the masks on notice that her, her <laughs> stone turned black? Turned black? <laughs> Maybe they couldn't see out of those masks. Yeah, I mean, I would say that it was a little bit convenient that the Compte and um, and Master Raymond were selected and they were brought in front of Claire. I thought that was convenient for the plot. I thought it was convenient for Well, we know he dabbled. Drama. He went to Master Raymond. No, he I knew know. about Claire's stone. No, I, no, I know. And I'm not saying that he didn't know that. And I'm glad that he got his comeuppance a little bit. Uh, it, it fell a little flat for me, um, b- specifically because again, the Compte to me felt like nothing more than a mustache twirler. Uh, he he just it seemed paper thin. Well, we now know that he was not in charge of the gang with the rape of Mary Hawkins. Well, I think you can easily r- reason that out, right? Because he clearly had no issue telling anybody how he felt once he realized. That he was going to die. Mm-hmm. Granted, he did admit to the fact that he tried to poison Claire before he knew that he was going to die. So you could at least know that he was willing to save his own hide and admit to stuff. But when he finally saw that he was going to die, I feel like he would have said, yeah, that was me. I totally would have done that. I totally did it. Mm-hmm. So now, it's it, again, it's easy to reason that he would have said that. Because he's got nothing to lose. What the hell does he care? He's going to croak anyway. Yeah. So... Yes, I think, and again, my outlandish theory was he had nothing to do with it. And I wonder who did it and will we see who did it and who is the guy with the birthmark? My ultimate feeling is it's someone that it's closer to Claire than we realize because they're going, they're, they're going to give us this answer, I feel like, by the end of this season. 
And if it's going to be happened by the end of the season, it's probably someone who has Scottish ties because clearly they're going back to Scotland now, right? So some guy from France isn't just going to randomly show up. It's going to be someone from Scotland or at least someone who has Scottish ties. I'm just going to say interesting and move from the st- <laughs> <laughs> move back to the king's bedchambers with uh, those good old oranges. Yes. All right. Go ahead. <sighs> Still needs payment. Carefully just lets her go down on the bed. Wham, bam, shwam. Thank you, ma'am. He, and he knew what he wanted, I think, from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. This, just, again, it was all a show for him. Well, it's also like while you're here, can uh, can we also check might this out? Might as well. Um. The only thing that distracted me in this scene mm-hmm. was Claire's extensions. <laughs> you know how she had that side pony? Yes, yes. And it was like really long and curly. I just don't know where where those were. I mean, obviously that was very popular to have that long, luscious hair. I sure. just, Claire hasn't worn extensions at all in France. So yeah. I guess if you're going to go see the king, now's the time to try out a new hairdo. Get the weave in, in, baby. Get a clip in <laughs> hair extension ponytail. Because then she even like fixed it. And I was like, oh, it's because she's not used to having that long of hair. She had to be like, oh, where is it? Um, You know, they had this really great shot at this point, a big wide shot of Claire in the King, and it was coming from the bed. But at the time, you didn't know it was coming from the bed. Uh, And I really liked that because it introduced you to the whole aspect of what was coming Mm -hmm. without realizing what was coming. I mean, you knew it was coming, but you didn't know where it was or how it was going to how it was going to go down. Did you notice how the shot while they were doing the deed um, was above Claire and just her face, just like in the beginning of the episode was just above her face. Right. Yes. And then she said, um, I closed my eyes and thought of England. Right. And I, in another listener, uh, Karen Lane on the outlander cast clan gathering, this is why outlander cast clan gathering rules because everybody gets together. She gave us some historical context to what, she meant by this and she said the reference of claire's voice when she said i closed my eyes and thought of england when king louis took her she said think of england this was recorded in the 1912 journal of lady hillingdon she says when i hear his steps outside my door i lay down on my bed open my legs and think of england that is widely repeated in various reference texts but without access to the source document it's hard to be counted as speculative if it is indeed accurate then we can also speculate that the good lady's forbearance wasn't frequently tested she was married to charles william mills second baron hillingdon who had retired from the active business life five years prior to his journey from the journal entry owing to his ill health her idea of an unpleasant experience being moderated by dreams of the green and pleasant land may have been inspired by a poem called In a Strange Land, which was published anonymously. Uh, And in that poem, it says, Oh, to lie awake at night and think of England, out of reach and far away. Oh, to see her in the distance as a picture and let your fancy play. And lie back and think of England, or as it's more more commonly expressed these days, as close your eyes and think of England, was used in two contexts. Firstly, it was later um, uh, dramas that have portrayed it was advice given by a mother to her daughter on her wedding night. Oh, and uh, th- the expression is sometimes attributed to Queen Victoria, as a matter of fact. The phrase certainly has the moral tone of many Victorian maxims that emphasized effort and forbearance. For example, play up, play up, and play the game. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with the 60 seconds worth of your distance run, you'll be a man, my son. And thinking just th- thinking of 
just do what you got to do. Think of England, think of England and think of how great England is and, and move on with your life. And I really thought that this was, uh, I really thought that this was apropos uh, for, uh, for what Claire was saying. Another quote that we forgot to mention was when Master Raymond was leaving the star room and Claire had a voiceover that said, I'll think of you most of all. Right. And I, she said, of course, you know, and the line came from a film, you know the one. Yeah, and it says, and it's obviously, I'll think, of you, I'll, I'll, think I'll miss you most of all, yes. which is, of course, near the end of The Wizard of Oz. After Glinda informs Dorothy she can go back to Kansas, Dorothy says her goodbyes to her traveling companions, being the lion and, and the, the Tin, tin Man. man. Uh, and when she gets to the Scarecrow, she simply embraces him and cries, I think I'll miss you most of all. And from what I recall... Uh, of my many times watching <laughs> The Wizard of Oz to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon while while stop while having fun, um, you know I I always felt like the Scarecrow and Dorothy had the closest relationship because th- he was with her there together the most, mm-hmm. and he had the most things and most bad news happen him getting ripped apart and yada yada like he was there with her the entire time. They had this connection. And Master Raymond was there with Claire the entire time, going through everything with her. Uh, I thought that was appropriate, So it's just too. another, you know, great little Wizard of Oz reference that Claire's had or that the show has had. So I thought it was really nice to have that. Right. And I like that, that she said, you know the one. She didn't have to say, <laughs> from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it, is is that necessary no, no, not at all. I don't think so. And could I have done without it? Yes. But again, I have an outlandish theory of the week that will prove why you needed it. Oh, well, I just liked it because that episode was heavy. And for me to have a little something, an orange or a, a Wizard of Oz quote, <laughs> I would take it. So she gets uh, Jamie back mm-hmm. and they have that really, really beautiful and, and tough scene where, where they don't touch. We talked about it before. He comes home with his big beard. Which was a tad distracting. I'm not going to lie. Hey, I think it was a good fake beard. Oh, I don't, no. I, don't know. I would say this would go in the Hall of Fame of, of bad beards. I wonder if they put it on hair by hair. I, I seriously doubt it. I feel like that was patch one of those beards. Patch. That was one of those beards that you'd buy at like the potty store. The big glue one kind, <laughs> like a Santa one. one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he comes in and... For him to say, I didn't even know. I don't even know if it was a boy or a girl. Oh, was it? Oh, my goodness gracious. This whole conversation. First, the way that they started this whole scene with with Jamie walking up the stairs. And the thing I really appreciated about this whole sequence was that it was patient with itself. It was it allowed Jamie to walk up the stairs slowly. It allowed the show to take its time with that and not showing his face. It was stay, it stayed out of focus. And also the fact that when he finally does get upstairs and he's finally talking with Claire, his face is still out of focus. A really nice touch to show you the separation between Jamie and Claire that Claire doesn't really care what he looks like. In fact, doesn't even really care that he's there. I mean, I'm sure he, on some levels he does. She does care, but it, it's it's almost a disregard of Jamie for who he was and who he is. 
Uh, and I really liked that. I thought I thought that was special. I thought it was a lot because she wanted to say and felt the need to say that it was her fault and that she was embarrassed for a lot of it. Right. For her to, for I mean, what strong emotion. She hated Jamie mm-hmm. and now she is sad and mourning and feels responsible. Well, she hates herself that, now yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, gosh, so freaking heavy. And and more and more to that point, when Jamie sits, when, when Jamie's talking to Claire and, you know, Claire simply just can't talk. The way Kat played this, it was like, it was, um, it was a bottled up kind of frustration and hatred for him and for he and she to both of them at the same time. And it was this reserve, like, I'm so mad. I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. I'm so hurt. I'm so disappointed. I'm so depressed. I don't even know how to react, right? Mm-hmm. I I uh, I I really dug. I really, really, really dug this this scene. And especially, I I cried again when Jamie said, "You know, the weight of we can't um, we can't be ever the same. The weight of it has been way too much for us to bear yeah. alone. The only way can we can live is to carry it, carry the weight together." Right. And then, of course, the next scene is going to Faith's. Um, you know the cemetery her grave and then they finally do touch and god Jamie how are you just the best freaking husband ever because to go (laughs) through all that and then be able to say but we can do it together yep and and, And I'm sorry go ahead Claire then says take me home I want to go home I want to go home to Scotland and you see the tears immediately in his eyes like and it was like a it was a catch your breath moment for him like not because not only is she saying, I want to go home. I want to get out of here. I want to F all this stuff. I'm done. She's now referring to Scotland as home. And, and that to him is home and them together. They are home. And how special is that? That she, after all of this stuff that she has gone through, after everything that they have been battered down about this, this thing with blackjack and the stuff with the Bonnie Prince, Charlie, and uh, changing history and and bite marks on the thighs and she still considers Scotland mm-hmm. or she like after all the problems that she talked about with with Frank and keeping his lineage together and making sure that he lives and there was a part of her that still kind of held on to this England is my home type deal I feel like. And then she admits to to Jamie that home is Scotland. I I just thought that was so special. I that that whole that whole scene at the grave mm-hmm. just made it for me. And but before we continue on with the grave, I I do want to talk about the choices that Hussein and Ron Moore and Tony Graffia made, which was intercutting when they were speaking about you know how are we going to be the same, uh, and Claire's how she hated Jamie. And she tells him, I hated you. I hated you. And at the time, you didn't necessarily get it. Like, you got it because you understood the fact that Jamie had betrayed her, you know, in quotations. And he didn't really pay attention to the fact that this is his wife, that's her baby. Um, she She hated him for it. But then they intercut 
the the silent scenes, uh, which is something that I love. I love that fractured kind of storytelling. I love silent flashbacks. I love flashback storytelling. Some people will call it lazy. Some people will, will say that it's that's not appropriate. I happen to love it. Christopher Nolan uses this a lot. Um, you know, Damon Lindelof uses this a lot too with these flashbacks, silent ones. Uh, and, and it's a little heavy-handed, I think, with like the the Mary dropping and and and, and breaking and shattering. Um, but just seeing her reaction, her sobbing and holding the baby, and then obviously the scene with Louise and singing to the baby and holding onto the baby for hours, you could see how she just broke down. And when she lets go of Faith, she just collapses on the bed and just turns her back to the world and yeah, just just falls apart. Retreats, yeah. And so you you get how uh, just. You know, you talk about depression and you, you, we can talk about what it feels like. I'm a man, first of all. I could never, obviously, have a baby, number one. But I could never, ever know what it's like to lose a baby. Luckily, my children are healthy and, 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 and Mary... To lose a baby that way, you mean. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Mary is alive and my children are alive and they're healthy, they're okay. Um, and I don't want to ever speak to the idea of losing a baby. But what I can see is the deep reaction that it had on Claire mm -hmm. and to juxtapose that with her bottled and funneled frustration and hatred for the situation and partly Jamie, partly herself, uh, how it was almost reserved. Like she kind of just accepted it by mm -hmm. that point. Um, that was, it was beautiful storytelling. It really was. It was. And you know, this episode had a lot in it, and I think Claire's storytelling really drove it and won it. And so because of that, I'm not even going to touch upon the Fergus-Randall stuff until our next episode. I think we should talk about Fergus's nightmare and being able to see that. But I wanted sure. to just – we're going to have a little bit of it in the listener GBG, but I really wanted us to spend the majority of this time talking about Claire. Yeah, because – ultimately that's what's most important ultimately what's most important is the fact that claire and jamie are the focus and as we have said many a time before they are the moral core and story core of outlander to begin with as much as we love frank and as much as we love all the other things that go along with it you know uh, i think Jamie and Claire is what matters What matters most. So, you know, the, the Blackjack Randall thing and, and the Fergus thing, I think it speaks for itself. And again, we'll get into it, like you said, in some of the listener GBG. And I think it's it's definitely a, a viable discussion to have in the listener feedback episode uh, coming up. But, you know, Claire and, and, and Jamie and their, how they broke them down and how, you know, they built them up to break them down just to build them up again. To really, 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 I mean, whew, man, put them through hell. Mm -hmm. um, and I like how it wasn't it wasn't clear how much time passed. She did say that she was in the hospital for weeks, which would mean mean that, you know, Jamie was in the Bastille for, for weeks. And God knows how long she stayed at the apartment alone while, um, you know, Jamie was in the Bastille. And the other thing I liked about when she was in the apartment alone was... 
the, uh, the clock ticking again. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, how, how remember how in uh, the episode after Not in Scotland Anymore, she mentioned the clock and that was the first mm-hmm. time she heard it tick? Uh, same thing again. She heard the, the clock ticking and when Jamie showed up, the clock stopped. Uh, really, really cool stuff. And I, I well, really I, he was it. it was still ticking, but after kind of the whole forgiveness happened. Yeah, yeah, it stopped. Yeah. And, and, you know, the direction by Met and Hussein has been good, I think. Um, I think this is his best episode yet. I think he made some really good choices, uh, some really good aerial shots uh, in the star chamber. He was patient, like I said earlier, with Claire uh, when she was speaking with Jamie in their apartment. Uh, it, it took its time. There were some choices in the star chamber when it was looking up, like when Master Raymond did his whole fake out sick thing and... Uh, some of those camera choices were a little off for me, but for the most part, uh, it was a still camera that was very patient. And that's the kind of TV that I like. Of course, I do like shaky cam, uh, like a, um, like a, uh, what's the guy, what's the guy's name that did uh, battleship and that does the leftover Peter Berg. I really like how Peter Berg does his camera work. It's kind of shaky, real, real world, real live stuff. Uh, but this was good too. I really liked it. I, before we get to the listener, GBG, um, I wanted to say something before I forgot. Because I know you always ask me at the end, like, do you have anything else to say? And by then I've already said it all. <laughs> what I thought about during my second viewing mm-hmm. in that lovely scene at the graveyard um, was Claire had so much loss in this episode. Yep. So much loss. And she lost faith. and Lost her husband for a while there, too. Well... What what it reminded me when I thought about the the first shot, it's to remind you, not only that Claire you know is pregnant again, but actually that Claire loses Jamie. So if you keep that in your head, that not you know Claire is going, Claire loses faith in this episode, loses her baby, and loses some faith in many many things herself sure. and her marriage. That, all that these shattering things. Mary is a, is a very tangible visual cue but, of that. But to just know how low Claire has gone and how gut wrenching and how sad and how bad we feel for her. I mean, so many people said like that they cried during this episode. You said you teared up, yep. and to know that she's already been this low and this heartbroken and we as the viewers know that she is also going to lose jamie Mm -hmm. that she is going to be back in the future without him and with frank oh man it with a baby by the way it pregnant yeah Yeah. with 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 jamie's kid but when i watched it that second time that's the other thing that stood out to me and i'm watching this saying as if this wasn't bad enough right we know she is going back to the future without jamie Mm mm-hmm with his kid, yeah, uh, it's it's yeah, it's gut wrenching, and you know, I there was a big deal uh, about what I said about how Claire was, I think, ultimately responsible for the things that she was going for going through, and I'm not going to say I'm right or I'm wrong because I don't think there is a right or wrong, but I do like the fact that she acknowledged her culpability in what happened. She wasn't blaming anybody else. She wasn't saying it was Randall's fault. She wasn't saying it was Jamie's fault. She she saw her responsibility for some of the things that happened. And I think that's an important character moment for her. Where I think she got caught up in all of this. And she kind of, it, it fell apart on her. And she, despite the fact that she was holding on and trying so hard to make it go her way, it may or may not have adversely affected her. 
you know, I mean, we all know that the, the placenta stayed in her. We all know that the, the, the placenta like kind of ripped from her uterus and some of it stayed in there, which, of course, led to the fever and how she was getting sick and Master Raymond gets it out and everything. Great. So whether or not whether or not it's her fault, I think is kind of irrelevant. She at least acknowledges the fact that she didn't help. Him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for her to recognize that. Um, you know, ultimately, I uh, I really, really, really liked this episode. I did too. Well, let's see what our listeners thought for their GBGs. All right, let's do it. On Facebook, Jessica Horns Collins says, Good. The restraint taken in portraying Fergus's rape. After the details shown in episode of 115 and 116, I was a little worried for the minor actor and his emotional welfare, but just enough was shown in the flashback to remind us of how evil BJR truly is and to justify Jamie's breaking his promise to Claire. Bad. Master Raymond going all OBGYN on Claire. This scene did not bother me as much as uh, as a book reader, but I've since had a bad birthing experience. And seeing Master Raymond uh, be all up in her business uh, the way that he was, was just too close to home for me. And more blood. Yes, ew. You know, my, my doctors did pretty much the same thing and the same procedure as Master Raymond to remove the leftover placenta. Well, of course, minus the magical body massage and having me cry out, Jamie, maybe I'll remember to cry out for the king of men if there's, heaven forbid, the next time. And note, by the way, her baby is totally fine. Uh, they just celebrated his, his second birthday. And Happy the great birthday. was Kat's, uh, congratulations, by the way. And uh, the Kat's uh, portrayal was the great part of her uh, as a grieving mother. Uh, that she especially liked her in the quiet moments as she recounted her experience to Jamie, her stoicism, her detachment. Just wow. And once the tears and hysterics have passed, Kat knew how to show the continued but bottled pain and she also says i found your podcast as season two began now i'm so happy when a new episode appears in my feed because it means i get to listen to you for an extra long workout and for you my darling uh this one is uh this one's totally for you that's a new listener right there thank you for joining the family mary tab said that this episode was incredibly heartbreaking it's bound to be one of the best episodes of the season so mary tab gives it 4.5 kilts the good was the portrayal of fergus and claire's relationship this episode finally showed us the lovely bond between these two characters mary tab's bad was the flashback that showed what happened to fergus Mm. Maritab believes it should have been cut. It was too much and completely unnecessary. If they wanted to show something from that room, they should have shown Jamie bursting through the door and attacking Randall. Besides, Roman was so good when he told Claire about what happened that we didn't need a gruesome flashback to understand how horrible it was. And Maritab's great was Katrina Bauf's performance. She blew me away in this episode, and I'd claim that it's her best performance on the show to Mm -hmm. date. She carried the entire story and never backed away from some of the most heartbreaking scenes the show has ever produced. The scene where she sang to her dead daughter was particularly devastating. If this episode doesn't make the Emmy voters take notice, I don't know what will. You know, I got to tell you, Maritab, I'm never one to be like, oh, this is an Emmy. I I hate doing that, but I got to tell you, this this is Emmy worthy what she has done 
whether or not she gets the nomination, I think, is an entirely different discussion. But it's worthy, in my opinion. And on Twitter, Kathy Kilpatrick says, wow, it was five kilts and it was tied with the BJR return for me. The good was the comp making us feel bad for him. And, uh, the, and the bad was Fergus not getting out. And the great, of course, was Katrina. And I got to tell you, I did kind of feel bad for the comps too. In the way that transition, did you feel bad for the comps when he yeah. had to take oh my that God. poison? Yes. Well, especially, okay, he did try to poison Claire, but God, she didn't want him dead. No, and, no, and she he didn't. he knew it too. Yeah. And I, that's, that's just the worst. I think that was the most ironic thing. He knew that she didn't want him dead. Yes. Because he saw, because clearly he knows about the stone. Clearly, mm-hmm. we all know about it. Clearly, he saw the stone. And then as soon as she touches it after Master Raymond gives it to him, gives it to Claire, it turns black. He knows that oh, it yeah. wasn't her. She wanted him to live. And I loved how he look, looked at Master Raymond and was like, you dink. Like, I can't believe you just did this to me. Why would you do that? All right. It's time for the Kendra Thought of the Week. Let's do it. Blake, it's Kendra. Uh, This has taken me a lot of time because I needed to get into the right headspace without actually watching this episode again, because I just can't do that to myself a second time. I don't know how I would react if I weren't a mother, but I am, so all I can say is I reacted poorly. I had a mixture of tears and snot pouring down my face until well after the episode had finished. I've had a hard time figuring out how I feel about the episode as a whole because there's so much to love about it, but at the same time, it made me angrier than I can remember being at an episode of this show. More so than the search. First, let's talk about Katrina's performance and this team's treatment of miscarriage. Katrina deserves all the Emmys and every award they can throw at her. For the strength of her performance here, I might actually consider voting in an online poll. Possibly. (laughs) The only promise I'll make is to vote for you guys. I can't look this beast directly in the eyes and not cry on air, so I'll speak peripherally. Uh, The raw, unblinking focus they place on Claire's grief is absolutely right. Too often, women can't express, and we dismiss, the enormous loss a parent can feel for a child they've not yet met. You don't have to see your unborn child to see their lives or their smiles. We have nine months to give them breath and dream up their entire lives and futures. And if we want to see their faces, we simply look at each other, wondering which smile we will see, which pair of eyes. When my son was born, he was a tremendous surprise. No, I didn't think I had just had some bad chicken. We expected a baby, but we were expecting a girl. They'd misread the gender at the anatomy scan. So for 20 weeks, I was building up a life in my head for a daughter who never existed. Instead, I had about five minutes, the time it took to stitch up my nethers, to readjust my expectations before they finally placed my beautiful baby boy in my arms. I was reeling, and I didn't know how to feel. I felt grief for the girl who never was, along with a whole flood of other emotions, and on top of that, felt an extra helping of guilt. Of course, as soon as I saw Anton, all of that melted away. But every once in a while, I still feel the shadow of that sadness. 
like when we were cleaning out the basement and I came across a box of Sylvia's clothes. She never actually existed, but we still talk about her. Of course, this pales in comparison to the actual, uh, the actual loss of a child, but it's the only way I can glimpse inside the world of that kind of loss. The scene which did me in the most was watching Claire arrive back at their apartment, sans baby. My husband noted that the, her hood would have been up at that point, and he's right. But we needed it to be down because it made her look that much more like the heron in her fever dreams. She resembled nothing more than a wounded bird, and the quiet dignity she still maintains in the face of all of this is just devastating. The support of the servants, especially Magnus, kicked my uh, waterworks into full force. I also loved uh, Louise's tenderness towards Claire, and the reminder that for Louise herself, this was a very real possibility. You can see it in the way she clutches her own unborn child. And finally, Claire holding Faith and singing so brokenly to her. It's a terribly beautiful metaphor as she rocks slowly, trying desperately to hold on to Faith. So in an episode which dealt so beautifully with grief, what was there to be so angry about? Well, I said last week that I didn't trust this team not to give us a Fergus flashback. As soon as they cut away to the brothel, I literally yelled at the television. It wasn't PG, so I'll spare you what I actually said, but I was not happy at all to be right. I'd love to hear a legitimate argument for why we needed to see the actual rape, because I honestly can't think of a single reason. We know BJR is bad news. We know what he's capable of, and we are decidedly aware of his proclivities. All we needed was the, you'll do, and a cut to Jamie busting up the whole thing. We did not need to see everything that we saw. This is even addressing the major problem Outlander has with rape in general. Diana hasn't been shy about saying that she finds sexual assault and the human reaction to it to be a driving force behind her story. You may not be as bothered by that statement as I am, but when we look at rape and our entertainment in general, it's lazy storytelling, and here, it's the worst example of it, because in the books, we're not given any fallout in regards to Fergus. It's almost as if Diana forgot it happened because it was so non-essential to his character. Fergus was raped because Jamie needed a reason to break his promise to Claire in a way that would not permanently damage their relationship. So Fergus gets tossed to the wolves. I'm not going to say much about the animal on Sam's face masquerading as a beard, except to say I hope that Will Farrell in the wardrobe department at SNL got it back in good condition. Uh, lastly, I'm not convinced at all of the point of the St. Germain story and um, uh, that story arc at all, except that it introduced a wider audience to Stanley Weber, and for that, we should all be thankful. Mostly, I'm thankful that we're getting the hell out of France and heading back to Scotland. I was prepared to give this episode five kilts, but I just can't. I'm subtracting an entire kilt for the gratuitous Fergus flashback, so this one gets four kilts. I hope all the vomiting has ceased at Shay Larson, and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Talk to you next week. Salut!
Thank you, Kendra, as always. Thank you. You rock, you rule, you are the best. And as of you, if you don't know, uh, Kendra is the editor-in-chief of the Outlander Cast blog. She also has her own podcast called Beyond the Stones, which she is the host. And they talk about Outlander and many other things with her husband. Uh, so please go check them out there. Uh, my love. That was a long ah. Uh. I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I, you know, I just... You're emotional. It's okay. I'm emotional. I'm, I'm overworked. It's time for the Outlandish Theory of the Week. So before I get into this amazing Outlandish Theory of the Week, I want to let you know that it was actually brought to you by Ackroyd's Scottish Bakery. For over 60 years, Ackroyd's Scottish Bakery has been making traditional Scottish baked goods with contemporary flair. Throughout the second season of Outlander, they will offer a special, not mediocre, but quite special menu of Outlander-inspired delicacies. They ship throughout the U.S., so anything you can get on their website, you can get delivered straight to your front or even side doorstep if you so choose. You know, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you have a garage. Maybe you have a mud room. You don't want the packages to be in your front door. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, I'm not sure if we have enough time. I don't know. Uh, so check them out at ackroydsbakery.com. And remember, that's A-C-K-R-O-Y-D-S, bakery.com for more info. And while you're there, tell them that me, Blake, and Mary, my wife, sent you and use the coupon code Outlander. To get 5% off of your purchase, and please go buy stuff from them. They're amazing. If you want to know what I'm looking at today. Yes, please. Let's look at it. Because <laughs> I usually bring got? something up for your outlandish theory so that I can look <laughs> at it and not give away my face. I'm looking at the assorted cakes. Okay. <laughs> like the, the fern ones and the walnut ones and the nut, the shortbread cakes. Oh, my God. It's That's just a, it's just so good. It just looks delicious, and it helps me focus so I don't give away anything during your outlandish theory. Anyway. Okay, yeah. All right. So yes. keep, keep looking there. Look at the flowers. Look, keep, <laughs> keep looking at the flowers. My flowers are baked goods. Um, for those of you, that's a, that's a Walking Dead reference. Anyway, uh, my theory, and I really like this theory too, it's not quite as good as my last outlandish theory for the listener feedback episode that we just had, uh, but this one's very good too. Everybody gives Outlander a hard time because of the VOs, the voiceovers, and everybody complains about it, and even specifically this particular episode, despite the fact that this is widely regarded as probably the best episode of Outlander yet, People still had a hard time with it. And I, listen, I told you early in season one, I'm in. I'm in on the VOs. I'm fine with them. If they're going to do them and clearly they are, I'm okay with that. But I figured out why they have so many VOs. Tell me. And we've gotten them. We will continue to get them because what we are seeing in Outlander, the first two seasons, and perhaps even further, but my feeling is the first two seasons at the very least is Claire's memories that she is relaying to someone in the future. So when you hear a voiceover, that is Claire conversing with somebody, telling them this story of what she has gone through when she first started in England and then when she went to Scotland. And then she how how she did all this stuff with Jamie and got married and then and then she got tried as a witch and then she and then they went to France and the Blackjack Randall and and King and all this other stuff. And what kind of clued me into this was when she talked about what what when they started off first with um, her daughter in Boston and she's asking her mother, "Hey, did you ever see a heron?" And then Claire follows that up later on the episode saying, "Oh, you know the quote." from Wizard of Oz, you know that. She's not speaking to us, the viewer. She's speaking to somebody that she's telling the story of Outlander to. And my feeling is that 
she is telling her daughter, who we saw in the beginning of this episode. So every VO that you hear is necessary because that is what Claire is telling her daughter. And everything in between, what we're seeing, is what is being filled in. And I feel like she's telling her daughter because something must happen with Frank or something must happen where she finds out that Claire was part of the history or something along those lines when she gets older. So she has to tell her daughter about what happened in her life. And she finds out that Frank is not her father. That is the reason why we're getting all the VOs. That is why it's all necessary. That's why it was necessary to see her daughter in Boston in this episode. And that is why I think the final shot of season two will be Claire in a VO transitioning to the real time telling her elder daughter the story of Outlander. My love, what do you think about that? I'm Interesting, getting- and I'm looking at butter tarts. <laughs> Butter tots. Sounds delicious. Say it right. Butter tots. Butter tots. That's my girl. That's it. I hope I get more. I'm glad I got an interesting. You did get it very interesting. All right. So do me a favor, guys. Go to Ackroyd Scottish Bakery and buy some butter tots. How's that sound? It sounds so yummy. (laughs) Mock me. Please hang up and try again. My love, final thoughts. What do you got for me? We're just going to head on back to Scotland, where I've wanted to be for so long. I, as a book reader, did not enjoy a lot of Paris, and I think that the creators of this show have done an amazing job making me enjoy my time in this godforsaken city (laughs) (laughs) with these terrible people and these terrible circumstances. Just take me home to Lollybroch, okay? Take me home. And I'm excited about it. They did a beautiful job. The customs were great. The sets were great. The music was great. I just want to get back to Scotland. Take me home tonight. I don't want to... All right. (laughs) Do you see the light? Yeah, I got you. I I was just not going to keep going. My final thought uh, is, listen, um... I am glad we are getting out of France. Um, I, I, To be honest, I hated France. I didn't like anything about it. I feel like you could have achieved everything that you achieved in France in Scotland with the characters that you already know. Uh, you could have just switched out certain things. Um, you could have even still had some of the intrigue with Bonnie Prince Charlie. Uh, somehow, Even though he was in France, you could still have some intrigue there, some communications, um, or maybe with one of his proxies. This whole thing of changing history, it amounted to pretty much nothing uh, in the end. Uh, all the characters that you meet in France amount to pretty much nothing. Mother Hildegard, so far, she's not going to Scotland. Bouton, the dog, is not going to Scotland. Uh, the, the king, the, the, the French king, not going to Scotland. Um, even Louise, not going to Scotland, which, I'm, which is why I'm glad they gave her that moment uh, with her taking the baby. The one thing you could probably take out of it is Fergus, because I think that he's going to Scotland with them. And I think you could probably take out the friendship with Master Raymond. Uh, I think he is going to be a bigger part of what happens. But in on the whole, France to me, it didn't matter. It was spinning wheels. It was trying to tell a fun story. The the antagonist, who I will call a villain, he was not multidimensional. Um, was okay, even though I really liked Stanley Weber. I thought he was decent uh, as a character. You thought, you thought the Comte was decent. I thought the Comte was decent at best. It was like a Father Bane type to me. Like, he's he's there, and he's angry, and that's that. Um, 
And I, you know what? If I'm going to be wholly truthful with you guys, and this is uh, this is you know safe zone between us and the family here. Um, this was the first episode of Outlander that I genuinely cared about the characters. Um, I've always enjoyed Outlander. I've liked it. I thought it's been a good show. Uh, I am a huge Ron Moore fan. You guys all know that. And I podcast about this uh, because it's fun to podcast. And um, I love, I absolutely adore engaging with you, the listeners, and having this, these conversations flow back and forth between us. Um, but mostly I podcast about this show because I love my wife and my wife loves this show and loves the books. And I, I've always enjoyed it. Um, I, I loved Master, um, Master Commander. I loved, I, I loved um, Garrison Commander. Garrison Commander. You know what? Uh, I loved all that. And I loved, I loved um, Wentworth Prison and, and Transmit Man's Soul. But those things were so, like the, the results of those things were so far out of the water. And everything that's happened in Outlander so far has been kind of separated from real life. But when Claire loses the baby and you get like real life consequences and something simple, something that is deeply rooted in tragedy, um, this is the first time I, that I really, truly, genuinely cared about the characters, what was going to happen, what was going to go on as a result of what happened. And this was genuinely the first time I got teary-eyed uh, because, you know, I, I, I've liked the characters, but I don't sit at the church of Diana. I don't it, like I like Outlander, but it's not my favorite show of all time. But this is the episode that this was like the pivot for me. This is one that's like I'm now invested mm -hmm. and I care about what happens going forward because the characters finally did something that was. It pulled you in. It was grounded for me. And I, I, I related to it in, in like, I talked about what happened with, with Jamie, uh, and the, the spoon with St. Andrew. And if we're going to, if we're going to bury you here, at least you can have a little part of Scotland, Scotland with you. That just, again, for whatever reason, it just stuck with me. And, um, I, I, I felt it when Claire says, I want to go home to Scotland. I felt it when he gives the spoon and it's just silent, you know, just bears music flowing through the scene and them sitting, staring at, uh, at faith, maybe because I have children and maybe because my children are young and knowing how vulnerable they are and knowing that this could happen to anybody, you know, not anybody can travel through stones. Not any, anybody is going to, you know, have this, you know, encounter with Blackjack Randall. Like it was, it was tough to see Jamie get whipped over and over and over again, but he, in real life, he probably would have died. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's fantastical really. Um, but this was one of those things that was not fantastical. This was real. And this was, this was visceral. And, uh, that's why I was finally sucked in. And, uh, that's why I finally genuinely care about what happens to these characters. I've always cared, but this is what I like. I, I, now I'm now I'm sucked in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the clan. Oh, my love. After that, are you ready to close out? You bet. All right, let's do it.
we still have the second episode of Outlander Cast coming out this week. So if you have any insight, if there's points that you think that we missed that you want us to delve into deeper, if you disagree with us about something, we want to hear it. Keep That's the conversation right. going. You can contact us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Also head on over to outlandercast.com. There you can write on each episode in the comments so you don't have to worry about it being within 140 character limit. Mm. You can also shoot us an email. Do it, Blake. Outlandercast at gmail.com. And thank you for letting me do that, by You're the way. Welcome. And not encroaching on my territory. I appreciate that. And Blake was mentioning that a lot of these uh, topics are brought up in the Outlander cast clan gathering group. So I love the clan gathering because you're able to put up a question and lots of people might have some fantastic answers about it. Right. Or you'll learn things that you didn't even know you were questioning about. Or you might be able to answer the question. Heck, <laughs> the possibilities are endless. Make That's sure right. you join the Outlander cast clan gathering on Facebook. Two things I want to talk about before we let you go is, as we had mentioned to you earlier in this podcast, we were nominated for the podcast awards for people's choice and tv and film so please do your best when the voting starts on may 29th to go at the podcastawards.com and vote early and often for us and also uh if you listened to our best impression of marvel studios last episode uh for the listener feedback episode after all of the end credits uh you heard that mary has finally completed battlestar Galactica, and in celebration of this wonderful feat, um, I wanted to know from you guys if there's enough interest. Uh, we were going to do a one-off, one-hour live episode dedicated to specifically Battlestar Galactica. You will have both Mary's thoughts as a newbie and my thoughts as a longtime fan. And uh, we will it, again. It's kind of like Outlander cast, but opposite. Uh, I'm the one that kind of is in the know, and Mary is kind of like the newbie. So I, I like this a lot. And if you want to hear that, please let us know on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or on the Clan Gathering, and uh, vote yes or no for the Battlestar Galactica episode of Outlander Cast. My love, I think that's it. You, I, I, that's all I got. We, we talked about the email. We talked about all this other stuff. Wow, we're until, done. We're done. So until then. Until next time, ladies and gents, I'm Mary Larson. My name's Blake. And you've been listening to Outlander Cast.